today. We're just not sort of hanging out. Um, but that we can uh, know something. And it's not about getting smarter, but what we do is really predicated on what we know. And so we know it, and then hopefully it goes from like just information to worship. Uh, that's, that's what our, our heart is. So just wanted to throw that out real quick. Um, let me just give you a brief snapshot. We had a very intense... Um, uh, I think a very intense time last week where we, where we discussed uh, the flood. We actually, you guys are really gracious. We went to chapter 6, 7, and 8 last week um, to really have an overview of what was God doing um, in creation because of sin. Uh, so basically we know that, oh, look at that. Are you, are you running it? That would actually be a blessing to me because I'm the, 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 the car thing. So before we hit that, guys, what I want, what I want to share is, is what we've done is that we realize um, Genesis 1, we see Genesis, the Lord creates out of this great abundance of love. Uh, we see then, you know, basically in Genesis 2, what he does, he creates man as his apex, right, his summum bomo of creation, right? We're like, we're like the delight of his creation, uh, and, and then that is shown by him creating us in his image. Uh, we then have the audacity to try to be our own gods, and then we fall, uh, we sin against the Lord, and then what happens is now we enter into um, a relationship apart from God, and we enter into what we would call death. That reveals itself in chapter 4, where we see we have the first murder, and we begin to see evil play its role because of our sin. Uh, we continue on in chapter 5, where you have this huge genealogy, um, and, what's showing in this, and what's being shown in this genealogy is that, wow, okay, you got all these people who are sort of just living these mundane lives. They're born, they have kids, they sin, and they die. We have one guy who walks with the Lord out of that whole passage, um, and we begin to see that, okay, so walking with God is how you cheat death, because he actually does not experience death, but he goes to be with the Lord. Uh, we also see there, that's the whole concept of remnant, is that you have all these sinners, right, and then you have a person chosen by God's grace. That's going to be a theme that we're going to see all throughout Scripture. Uh, we continue on, and so God is basically showing us 1,500 years, actually people would say 1,600 years in chapter 5 alone, and what you see is a sin problem. People are really sinful, and we're sinful all the time, and if you don't believe it, we go to Genesis 6, where, where the Lord has to actually say it. Guess what? If you didn't believe Genesis 5, let me go ahead and tell you, Men are sinful, and the intent of their heart is to do evil all of the time. So it's almost what the Lord is doing. He's showing how gracious he is, and he shows because of our evil that basically, man, creation is messed up. It is marred. He's so sad and frustrated because of us sinning. It breaks his heart and to the point where he says, you know, you guys are doing even the craziest things to the point where you've you got believers marrying unbelievers. Guess what? I'm going to destroy the world. And so God does that. He destroys everyone, but because he's gracious in his justice, he is fully just, and he destroys all sinners because he's supposed to. But then he says, because I'm merciful, what I'll do is I'll save a family, and hopefully we'll begin this process of recreation again. And that's what he does with Noah. And he saves Noah. We, we made a big point last week that I hope um, everybody is building deep conviction on. That is, whenever you read Genesis and you see Enoch and Noah, you're not thinking, wow, those are really good guys. And the goal of Christianity is not to be a bad guy, but to be a good guy. That's not what he's teaching. He's teaching that, wow, they're really bad guys too, and God is gracious. Right? Don't miss that, because if you miss that theme, you've missed the gospel. The gospel is about evil people getting grace from God. Okay? And so that's what you are. That's what I am. This is call as we see it. That's cool. That's the reason why we can now focus on Jesus. But we have to all agree that we're really, really foul. Okay? People don't like hearing that, but is this true? So, so we go on. We see him destroy all of creation, destroy all of creation um, and then basically rebirth. 
And now we enter into a very uh, funny story. Well, let me just actually let me move back a little more. Then let's not forget, uh, Noah, Noah waits. The boat opens. He waits for a little bit. I love that he waits until God tells him to get off the boat. I just love that little part there. And then um, we see he gets off the boat, and the first thing he does is what family? He worships his king. Okay, and then talk about how good he is, what he's done. Man, I'm so, you know, so glad I'm not like those other sinners. You know, I do some bad things, but I'm really good. No, he gets off the boat and says, wow, I should have been destroyed just like I'm no better than anyone who died in the flood. And God was gracious to me. And then what he does is he begins to sacrifice. And he sacrifices and does an uh, sin at- atonement of sin uh, because he realized that God was gracious to him. So we have a guy who's leading this family well, modeling that. Well, what happens, uh, we move on now, and we have the sense of, of, of uh, we're going to see this story of Noah and basically of Adam sort of having a lot of, uh, a lot of similarities. I, I could walk through this. You guys are probably reading it. You notice that they're both are image bearers, and I say that because uh, you're going to see in the text is very important. I just want to give you some cliff notes, and I think we should probably put this up online too uh, in the week. They both are, are they both walk with a God. And, and the point in showing this is that you have humanity beginning in creation and then you have destruction because of sin, but then you have, as it were, recreation. Okay? And a start of a, as it were, new humanity. And so this is not, this is not by mistake, but I, I propose it's on purpose that he's trying to show you that there's another theme. Again, we try to teach how to study the Bible too when we're up here running our mouth. He's trying to show you this theme of retelling the story. You're going to see this, it's called, the big theological word is recapitulation, okay? There's a retelling of the story, of this epic meta-narrative where God is the king, okay? And then we have these little narratives in this big narrative, and all those little narratives are supposed to retell, tell again, the story of his narrative, okay? And so what you have here is you have, so here's an, here's an example. They're both image bearers, they're both walking with God, they're both men, um, uh, uh, our fathers of humanity, as it were, right? They come off. He's the leader of, of this new humanity. It's him and eight homies. You know, we got some wives, and okay, God, and then God is like, you know, okay, recreate, like, repopulate the earth. Okay, what a task, man! All right, you ready, sweetie? I mean, can you imagine that? So, okay, so you have the world was filled. You know, it's interesting. So. Um, you know, both all, uh, like all descendants of Adam, right? So they're all descendants of Adam. Well, as it were, they're all descendants of Noah, of Noah now, right? You have the world was filled with water and then dried up. We see that in the beginning of Genesis, right? The world, you have the water. Then what he does, he separates the water, the expanse, right? And you have the water that goes on the ground. And same deal, right? Water is basically, as it were, the water is, I mean, the world is filled with water. And then what God has allows the waters to dissipate so they can have land and so man can live. Um, <clears throat> Gives a missional mandate again. Both are farmers. Uh, both are sinful. Their sin results in shameful nakedness. We'll see in a moment. Uh, both have their nakedness covered to take away their shame. Uh, we also see uh, both are in a covenant with the Lord. We talked about covenant last week. We're going to um, parse a little more covenant. So each week, I think for the last few weeks, we've talked a little bit about covenant. And each, one, each week, we're trying to like just peel another onion of covenant. So we're going to look a little more at covenant today, too. They both have three sons. Um, and remember, in each line, both in Noah's line, but also um, in Adam's line, one of the sons is just kind of crazy and does something really stupid, right? So, and all I have to say, um, I think it's safe to say that they're kind of retelling a story, right? Yeah, if I, that's all I got. So if you still don't think they're retelling a the story, I mean, you win. Um, you want the next slide, please? 
Okay, with that said, we're going to jump into um, Genesis 9, what we always try to do here, fam. If you have questions, and uh, like Nick will have a question that usually blesses the body, please ask the question. If you have a question and, and you know, like, is this kind of like your thing that you've been studying on the side, but you don't know if it's going to bless the covenant community, just try to hold it down maybe and ask me afterwards, or you can ask some of the leaders. We have like 50, 60 leaders here, so you can ask one of them, and uh, I, trust, I trust their theology. So um, let's start off, family, Genesis 9. So here we are. Hilarious story. I love this story. All right? Now, y'all read it, and y'all going, what's wrong with this guy? Why does he love this story? I think you're going you're gonna to see why in a moment. Okay, starts off, says, Then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Uh, notice, I mean, if you have your Bible, I would encourage you. Um, I love writing in my Bible. Uh, notice a few, and I'm just going to be trying to point out a few key words and key themes to show you that there's no, like, tricks, you know, when people get up. I just, I'm trying to figure out a way, because sometimes, you know, you get up and you're teaching, and people think, well, you got all this extra stuff, which is true in some sense that I, you know, I've done a master's degree and all that stuff. But there's a lot of just staring at the text where you can, you, where the Lord, he's not trying to hide some nugget from us, but he wants the people of God to understand his story. So I just want to, I want as much as I can model that, that if we stare at the fishes long enough and we're humble enough to say, Lord, teach me your word and I want to plow and I want to do the work, um, God will do something in our hearts and he'll, and he'll reveal to us stuff and he'll even teach us how to have extra biblical resources. I propose the reason why we're irresponsible um, biblical theologians is because we're kind of lazy and I'll be the first to say that. I get paid to do this and sometimes I don't want to do that, right? So I get it. Um, notice, first he says blessed. Okay, so blessed in Genesis all over the place. Says it probably about uh, 80 times or so. This whole sense of, of, of be happy. Uh, and my, my whole point there is that, that God is, I mean, there's this theme he keeps trying to show us that, man, God's desire is to bless his people. That, that throughout Genesis there's this theme of like God, well, God wants to bless us. And we are the ones who turn our back on the Lord um, many times. And so there's a sense of he wants to bless us, and he, even, and he shows us, right? Because, okay, remember at the end of the scriptures, he says, okay, I've, everybody's been destroyed. I allow you to be my new humanity, and guess what I'm going to do? Uh, even though you're still, uh, what a powerful text, right? You would think, okay, and now you're going to get it. He says, even though your inclination is to do evil all the time, too, basically, right? You, you, you're going to do, I'm still, but I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do this again. I'm not going to destroy the earth. In fact, what I'm going to do, I'm going to bless you, I want you to be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. So I just think the beauty of God to say, I know you're sinful. I know you're messed up. I'm going to still re-give my missional mandate to you. Isn't that powerful? Okay, let's pause. So that's then. That's, that's then. Think about that in our journey. A, a lot of guys bench themselves for ministry because of their stuff. Right? We, we want to be perfect, then we want to minister. And I just want to propose to you, you know, I'm not asking you to live duplicative lives. I'm not asking you just to, you know, like, just, just, just bring reproach upon the church. But I'm saying as you're fighting sin and you're killing sin, let's be killing you, and yet you're fighting sin, and yet, you know, you, you, got, this, you got these struggles, God is saying that's a healthy Christian. And God is saying, why are you benching yourself? Because you, you're, you're throwing in the gospel. You're, you're smacking grace in the face to say, I need to be perfect before God can use me. I want to propose God gave you the mandate when you were following evil. He gives, it, he gives us this new mandate when we are all, he's, remember the last chapter? He says, yeah, okay, I'm going to bless them, even though they still do evil all the time, even though they're still crazy, right? So, so that encourages me um, as a sinner. 
who, who, who loves Jesus and who's been saved by God's grace. Um, can we continue on, please? He says, uh, the fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and on all the birds in the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground and on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. So we see this sense of he's saying, okay, humans have dominion. So reinstituting again this sense of like everything I've said to Adam, I'm saying to you. Right, you get to have dominion just like I've given dominion to Adam. But um, I love the sense now, I, and I, I do this because I want to make sure, you know, I know we want to be creationists, but always notice that men are the apex of creation. There's not this sense of like, you know, the, the world will tell you, you know, like, no, God loves, you know, Bambi just like he loves Fred, you know. And I'm just saying, you know, I, I hate to be the guy to break it to you, but that's not the case. Like, like, guess what? If, if I'm driving down the street and I see a wreck and there's Bambi hurt and there's little Ben hurt, guess what? I'm picking Ben up, I'm putting him in the ambulance, and Bambi just dies. Okay? Sorry. Bambi goes home. Right? I'm going to try to save Ben first. I'm not going to go, well, they're both all equal in God's eyes. I guess I'll just leave Ben today and take Bambi. You won't do that, right? Why? Why, why? why, even if you don't love Jesus right now, why is that just, that's just intuitive that you pick up Ben and not Bambi? <laughs> I'm trying to make a point, right? You pick up Ben because he's created in God's image. Because God is saying, although we treat animals well, because we are stewards, because God has given us that stewardship mandate, that they are not on the same page. Like plants and Bambi is not on the same <laughs> stratosphere as humans, right? They are not, they're not, we're not equal with animals. We have dominion over them, okay? I know many of you already probably get that, but I just want to make it clear, just in case some of us would have picked up Bambi. <laughs> Don't pick up Bambi. Pick up Ben. All right, guys. Um, so continue on. He says, everything that lives and moves about will be food for, uh, for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. Now, and this is, this is fun. Um, this is, well, the, the, the theological supposition is that before this point, we were basically vegetarians. All right? Uh, and so right now, he's saying, not only am I giving you the plants, you know, you get broccoli, but now you get steak. You know what I'm saying? Now, if you're a vegetarian, praise the Lord. You know, eat, you know, eat, your, <laughs> and I know I got some of me, eat your, you know, eat your mushrooms and stuff. Um, no, no, I'm not trying to, well, I'm just saying, we, we're not, all, my, my point is, before I get in trouble, my point is we are free to eat food now, and, and, your, and your, uh, your dietary suppositions are totally freed up in the Lord to just enjoy all of what God has made. Okay, family? Okay. Amen. All right. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood in it, still in it, family. Now, notice that. Uh, and for your lifeblood, I would surely demand an accounting. Well, let me just pause there. So, so he's saying, okay, you can eat meat, but you need to make sure it's dead, right? So you don't want the blood flowing. This is, I'm just saying, you know, I don't know what y'all do now, but he's saying you don't want the, you don't just go up and bite the deer. You know what I'm saying? You need to kill the lifeblood. It needs to stop flowing, Right? He obviously, I, mean, I wonder if some cats was probably going, I mean, look at that little elephant, you know, gnawing on his little toe or something. And God is like, let me tell you, people, you need to kill the elephant. So, so that's why he said it. There's a reason. So, just make sure you kill the food. 
All right. And, I, and you know, it's interesting because, I mean, obviously you know that there, there probably are diet. If you were to ask all the doctors and stuff, I'm sure there's probably some sanitary, some stuff that happens. You get sick. I'm, I'm sure it, it's, it seems that God's dietary laws are actually to protect us, um, which is a beautiful thing. Um, so just continue on. So he's, so he's giving these instructions. I just want to make sure that as we're, as we're going through this itemized scripture that you don't miss the story for the itemized parsing of the scriptures, okay? So he's basically sort of saying, okay, let me just give you some new mandates here. Let me just give you some new instructions that you are, as you are the new humanity. Uh, at, so then he says, and for your lifeblood, I would surely demand an accounting. Okay, we're in verse 5 right now, family. He says, I would demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being too. I would demand an accounting for the life of another human being in verse 6, whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God uh, made man. Okay, so a couple things I'm going to point out here. Um, so he's making it very clear that, okay, there is a sense of he wants to make sure that we are treating life sacredly. Okay? And, and notice here, he's saying, okay, if an animal kills a human, then you kill the animal. Okay, and you guys have seen the news before, like, um, you know, some animal gets out and then they have to, you know, t- take it down or something like that. Well, here he's saying, look, no, if animal kills, I want, I want to, there's an accounting for that animal if it kills another human. But then he's also saying, if a human murders another human, there is an accounting of their life. Okay, now, so here's where you get into some craziness. You get into capital punishment and all these things. Can we move on real quick, buddy? Um... I just want to talk about this issue of, of, of law. Okay. So, so the reason why in a nutshell, because what this all gets down to is God is sort of, he's given these stipulations. So he's sort of, this is like the beginning of the stage where he's sort of given these ordinances, right? He's not the Ten Commandments as of yet, but he's given these ordinances. And that's when you hear people say in the scriptures, there's like 611, 613 ordinances um, in the scripture. Um, and so he's saying, hey, here's the law. And the reason why we don't, I would propose, the reason why, in, in essence, we don't like law is because we are lawbreakers, right? And all you got to do is, like, live where I live and watch the red light right on Mac there. It is unbelievable. And I just want to get deputized and be chasing cats around. I mean, but um, it's unbelievable. We are law, and, and, but here's the funny thing about us, too. We are lawbreakers, but we want everybody else to obey the law, but we want to fudge, right? I'm just, right, I'm telling on somebody. I know I told on me. Okay, so, 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 what, so, here's, so here's what God is, here's, here's why the law comes about in a nutshell. And there's a lot of, again, a lot of different aspects to this, so I can't get into right now. But I want to talk about real quick the rule of law versus the power, powerful rule. Okay, so law is given to protect life so we can have a good society. I'm going to break this down in a moment. Law puts parameters around evil. So what happens is what the law is supposed to do, it's supposed to protect you. Like, so say if you are not strong and you are weak, then what protects you from getting beat up? The law, right? So what's, what the law is supposed to do, it's, just, it's supposed to protect us when our sinful nature will always destroy us. See, see, basically, the reason why we have law is because we're so messed up that without law, we would be just lawless and crazy, and we'd be doing all kind of this. We, we'd be shaming those who, can't, those who don't have a voice. It would just be chaotic. So what law does is it, makes, it puts sort of a pot, a lid over evil. It's like, okay, you're evil, but at least hopefully this will make you not as evil as you would be because we got some laws. Does that make sense? See, you, we all think we civilized. No, but that's why movies like Lord of the Flies and those, remember those movies? 
That's what that is about. It's about a bunch of kids who, who you know how they know. You know look at the editors there. The, the, the kids aren't just regular kids even, either. They're kids who come from a boarding school. So these are the nicest of the nice kids, right? These are the kids who actually understand all the law. I mean, they get off the boat. I mean, they, 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 they crash. and They got their, you know, their captain's hat and all this stuff, right? And then what happens in a couple weeks? They're killing a little piglet. The little kid, you know. Y'all seen Lord of Flies? You read the book? All right, let me think of another crazy movie. Well, so you have, you think of, so you think of this concept that soon as laws are, are dispelled, anarchy occurs. And that's what happens in many third world countries. Right, when I was in Africa, and that's, that's what anarchy is, is when, you, is when there's no laws, is now I'm free to do anything. When my car got stolen, the thing that broke my heart about my car getting stolen was that the guys who stole my car after we got it back, they were still dancing in the street. Okay? And what I, what I told the police, I said, what scares me was not the, the reality that y'all didn't, you know, y'all didn't come and all that. What scared me was that in their minds, they didn't think anything would ever happen to them. When you think as a sinner that nothing will happen to you when you sin, you are willing and able to do anything. And that, that, that is the definition of lawless. And see, so you don't, don't think, oh, I'm not capable of doing this. I'm telling you, that's what the movies, when you get somebody in a, uh, in Antarctica and all of a sudden, you know, someone dies and they're trying to survive and they start eating people. My point is, man, the gravity of sin, the gravity of our evil is that, okay, you need laws because we need to put parameters over this. Think about it. So now let me just go through. So law, law preserves, um, preserves, lawlessness kills. To live the hope. Now, this is where it gets kind of iffy. The hope of law is supposed to, to live in a supposedly just society of sinners. And the reason why this is important, family, if you really believe so, law is here because what it does, it girds us for not be as sinful as we would be, what happens is we can start thinking, oh, well, but what about my heart? And that's why I get frustrated when people try to put all their weight on this heart thing. You know, I have cats tell me all the time, well, I want to do this, but I want to wait till my heart's right. That's a bunch of crap, family. Let me tell you why. Think of history. Do you think, I mean, I'm trying to think of uh, the civil rights. Do you think brothers were saying, you know what, look, I know you're spraying me with that, you know, that fire hose, okay, but you don't have to put it down now. Let's just wait until your heart's right. When your heart's right, then you can quit spraying me with the fire hose because I want to make sure you have the right motives. I don't want you to stop spraying me. I want you to wait until you really feel the heart, you know, and you, you just realize it's wrong. No, brother said, bruh, quit spraying me with that fire hose. Right? Right? I want justice now. You follow me? People are saying, you don't have to just wait until your heart's right before you stop calling me the N-word. I want you to quit using defamatory language toward me, and then hopefully the Lord will work with your heart. That's irrelevant to me. I want you to do the right thing. Do you follow me? So I want to propose to us as a family, I think there's a principle there that when God asks you to be holy, he said, I want you to have the right heart, but I'd rather you be holy first. I'd rather you be obedient and trust me about your heart, whatever that is. So it ain't like, well, I want to love my husband, but I just feel like I just do these things out of, you know, just out of compulsion. Good. <laughs> See, y'all ain't feeling that, but that's biblical. God is saying, look, I'm, not, I'm asking you to obey and pray for God to do something in your heart. Fact check it. So now, now you guys know I'm going to get emails and stuff. Are you minimizing the heart? I'm just saying that, guys, law is saying that, look, we are so messed up, we will use anything to try not to do what God has called us to do. 
And so God has to say, well, let me just give you clear stipulations so we can't argue about this. Here is what I want you to do. Whether your heart's in it or not, here's what I want you to do. Don't kill, don't murder cats. Love your husband, love your wife, right? Proclaim me. And it's not like, well, I don't feel like proclaiming Jesus today. So? Okay, um, continue on, please. So, um, so my, my, my point even, even, even going there is like this whole concept of, of, of God saying, hey, life is sacred. Um, I am so serious about life that actually this whole aspect of capital punishment, all those seems malicious. Um, his point there is if you're going to murder someone, we're going to take your life. And, and actually in taking that life, I'm trying to show you that life is sanct- that it's sanctified, that it's, that it's, it's, imp- it's, it's really important. Um, then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the, lives, the livestock, and all the wild animals and those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of the flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. All right. So, man, I... Usually you guys are like, yeah, you guys didn't like that whole law thing, did you? Man, I got to do right? So, um, okay, you can go to the next one. So check this out, guys. Let me explain that through this concept of covenant. So uh, what he's saying there, and do you see there's a different nuance of covenant that we're seeing right now, okay? What he's doing, uh, we have this theme of creation, fall, covenant, or I would propose, and uh, so you have, here's the story of God. You've got creation. Fall, then God gives us a covenant, then what he does is he fulfills that covenant, so at the end of the day, God can say, I am faithful, right? He does that. And then within this, this concept of covenant, what you have is this uh, another narrative. So you have this huge narrative, and you have another little narrative, and that's the narrative of Israel, Jesus, and actually true Israel, are proposed the people of God. And w- within that covenant, within that story, you have sin, exile, restoration, okay? So what happens is in this covenant that God gives us, he says, I love you. He gives us a covenant. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Then what we do, we say, thank you, God. Then because we're evil, we fall into sin. Uh, then God says, hey, um, he gives us a conditional covenant. You're my people. If you do this, I'll bless you. If you do this, I won't bless you. I'll remove you from my presence. Okay? We sin. What God does, he's faithful. He puts us in exile. Okay? Then, because God is gracious, he doesn't keep us in exile. He says, but then I will restore you. Okay? So, so you have covenant, so you have sin. Exiled and he restores us. That's what Jesus is all about, the restoration component, and it's fulfilled. Now, I say that from a big picture perspective. That's what's happening in the story of God as you continue to read the scriptures. Here's what's happening when you look at all these covenants. There's many different covenants, family. There's the universal covenants, and I just wanted to, 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 to put these out here so we see that there are different covenants, and that's why you have to be careful of promises that you're claiming in scripture. Right? So there's a universal covenant, and it's the covenant here that we see with Noah. So what's the universal covenant? What is he saying to Noah? Can you go back one? You see that? He says, I make, it with, I make this with everybody. And what's the covenant he makes? Right. Never again am I going to destroy the world in that way. Okay? Can you move forward? Thanks, bro. So we see, so he makes this, he says, hey, no matter how crazy you are, no matter what you do, it's not going to jump off like this again. You have, you have God's word, right? So if you, you know, I remember when we taught last week, like that night it was like a huge storm, you know? And I was like, man, well, I hope nobody at the house going, oh, my goodness, 
You know, like you, we don't even have to freak out again. That, we're not going to go out like that, right? So that's a beautiful thing, right? I just got to say that to some of my, I got some people here who have the gift of prophecy in the sense of like a truth tellers. I don't want you on the corner, you know, telling cats they're going to know a part two coming. So uh, we also have limited covenants, right? We have the, so for example, Jesus, his covenant to the people of God, right? So that is a limited covenant. People who tell you that, no, Jesus, he's just here for the, he's, Jesus, this is a covenant for everybody. That's not biblical. This is, a limited, this is for those who call Jesus their king. If, you are, if Jesus is not your king, you are not under the new covenant Christ. Okay? Um, then you have uh, conditional covenants, right? You see these conditional covenants in, in uh, Second Chronicles where he, he covenants with Solomon. You know, he tells you, hey, so here's, here's what I'll do if you do this, and if you don't do this, um, here's what will happen to you, right? So you'll see that in Scripture. So, so conditional covenants, and I think even one conditional covenant, um, I would actually say a limited covenant, um, is even the one that we always claim. People, you know, whenever you go to prayer conferences, it's the Chronicles one. If my people call by my name, will right, um, humble themselves. Uh, I propose, I propose, I know I'm going to get people throwing tomatoes and apples at me, but that is not a universal covenant. He's not, he's, he's, he's saying that specifically about doing something to their land because of a the situation there. Uh, now, God is good. You can pray those things, but you can't claim that as God's promise to you living on Mac. Um, so then you have, and then we also looked at unconditional covenants. We just, it's, it's a sort of a covenant, a universal covenant. You can have a universal covenant that's conditional. This one, the one we see with Noah is a universal covenant, but it's also unconditional. Nothing you can do is going to have me destroy the earth in this way. Continue on. I just, want us, I just want us to continue to, as we unpeel those layers of covenant, that we get it, family, because you miss covenant, you'll miss understanding the scriptures. Okay? Because it's a covenant book. Frankie, what's up, man? Here it's saying he he will not destroy it by a flood. Yeah. So. I'm sorry. So uh, so so Frank is asking. It's saying that um, it won't he won't destroy the earth by a flood. But will he? But it's not saying that he will never destroy the earth. Right. Now we're getting to you. You trying to start all kind of stuff. I'm going to take a. Here's the thing because I'm going because there's a, there's a lot of I think we have a lot of um, traditional thinking here that I, I really want to press into. And so probably in a, 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 month, a couple months or so, I'm, we're going to take a, I'm going to take a brief pause on Genesis and talk about recreation um, and understanding, like, what is God saying he's going to do um, with the world? Because I'm proposing he is not going to destroy the world. He's going to recreate it, and that the heavens and the earth will be one um, by God's glory. So, but there's a traditional thinking that, well, first Peter, you know, Peter says, you know, that he's going to destroy it with fire. So I would like to parse that with you sometime. So, but until then, we'll move on. So thanks a lot, Frank. Thanks a lot, bro. So uh, where are we? Did I already read this? All right, cool. Let's move on. Okay, so and God said, uh, this is the sign of the covenant. We're, we're all cool? So I know this is, it can get kind of academic, but I need to make sure that we're being faithful to the text, that we're understanding what's going on, family, okay? Do we need to, if, I'm cool. We can get up and jog in place or something. Y'all all right? Okay, so, and God said, because I'll be tired, need some hard cheers. Uh, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. That was verse 12, verse 13. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant. Always notice that um, all throughout Scripture's covenants always come with signs. Um, of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures of every kind. 
Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on earth. I love, notice, I just, I just want you to notice his care for all creation. Notice when he talks in scriptures, man, he's not just saying, Noah, you and your, your people and humans. He's, he continues, he always talks about all creation. He cares about all creation. I so want to like just get that out of our mind in America that it's all about us. Because that is not the biblical picture. God wants to do something to all creation. We are the headliners, but there is all creation that he cares about, my fam. Okay, let's continue on. See if I missed anything there. Um, all right, so, so now we're going to get to some craziness. Are you all ready for this? Um, we have uh, the sons of Noah who came out of the ark uh, were Shem, Ham, and Jepheth, right? Ham was the father of Canaan. Notice that he puts that in there for a reason. Uh, these were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered all over, um, over the whole earth. So you have almost this, uh, uh, this, this, uh, this preface or this preview of what? Tower of Babel, right? Where, where we're going to see uh, God scatter the people all over the earth. Um, and continue on, please. Now it says, Noah... A man of the soil, which means he's probably a farmer, right? He proceeded to plant a vineyard uh, when he drank some of his wine, which is hilarious. I mean, we were talking in our mad group, like, so really, dude, like, how long does it take you to plant a vineyard and for it to grow and for you to have wine? And then how do you learn to make wine, homie? So, uh, so he uh, drank some of his wine. It says he became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. Now, this story is interesting to me because... Um, <laughs> the reason why it's interesting because I just, I just, I just always, I mean, I just laugh sometimes at our, our, how we view the, uh, even Marie was, we were laughing because how we, how we try to picture uh, just that the Noah story, you know, like we just, we, the way we've made Noah is hilarious. I mean, you know, you got, you know, you go in someone's room and they got the big old boat and the giraffe's head sticking out the window, you know, and the two elephants and then there's Noah kind of deal. And you never get this picture, you know, Noah like, you know, naked on the floor with throw up, throw up oozing out his mouth, you know. Drunk and stupor. Why we don't paint that? I'm just kidding. So, um, I was just joking if you knew. I don't usually joke. Just joking. So, all right. So, what is Noah's sin? Okay, so it's not sin to be naked, right? It's not sin uh, uh, to drink wine, okay? Obviously, the issue is the drunkenness, okay? And, and now, so the question becomes, so we can understand, like, God's, his passion for worship is, is why is drunkenness a sin? Uh, because it's not that, okay, God just, like, has some things he just doesn't want you to do. Uh, think of addictions. So, so here's some reasons, and there's probably more if we, if we sit long enough. But here's some main things that drunkenness uh, do. Okay. Uh, one of the reasons why drunkenness is a sin is because of this issue of intelligent volition that we talk about a lot in our body, right? We talk about one of the main ways that God is, is honored in worship is when we choose intelligently to say, I can choose to worship this golden calf, but because you are good, I'm going to choose to worship you. And then the Lord, and the Lord is pleased and he's gracious. Now, again, we're saying that God gives us the grace to make that choice, but that, but that, builds, that honors the Lord. When you're a mind, when you are drunk, when you howl weed on crack, um, whatever, when you howl some girl, when you're addicted to something, it blurs your judgment 
it blurs your thinking. And then God does not have all of you. The goal of worship is that God has all of us. And when there's something in our life, our job, our relationship, um, something that we're fighting for, some, some movement, um, athletics, whatever it is, um, when it has us, God is saying you are distorting worship, particularly with drunkenness. If I am in a drunken stupor, how can I intelligently worship my king? You follow me? So, so, so the reason why Jesus is frustrated with that is because it hinders his worship. People aren't honoring him. They don't have the capacity to honor him the way he's created them to honor him. Okay, family? That's why it breaks the Lord's heart when we take our mind and we give it to something else and we don't give it to the Lord. Same for necromancy, which is witchcraft. All those things, when we're placing ourselves under the influence of things that are not the Holy Spirit, God is going, what are you doing? You weren't created for that purpose. You were created to give everything to me all the time. All right, fam? So even addictions, right? We can argue over the nuance of like if things are healthy or not. I just want to stay on the things that are clear in Scripture. We don't need four things. Don't I just need one reason, Right? So addictions are, they get you away from this reality of your, you are now, this is your God. God is saying, I'm your God. Nothing should have your devotion more than Jesus. It shouldn't even be like a race. Right, fam? So I just want to clear that up. So, so that's, what, that's why drunkenness is a sin. Can we continue on, buddy? Um, now look at this. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father's nakedness. And he told his uh, two brothers outside. Uh, so Ham's uh, sin here, uh, which is interesting, is, is one of, of dishonor. I mean, you think about this. This is, this, is, this is sad. Okay, you got... Now, again, I look at this passage. It's kind of weird. Because these guys aren't six and seven, you know, walking in on daddy. And these, guys are, these guys are men, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and he's in his tent. So he's in his house. They ain't camping. Just, you know, get us out of our American mindset. When you see tent, there's no, there's no campfires and just go hang out in the front yard. There is his house, all right? And he goes into his room. So I don't know what's up with Ham. I mean, I think it's safe to say he's kind of perverted, okay? So, so we'll, we'll, we'll go there. And, he, and basically, he sees his, he sees his dad drunk. Um, but this is the same guy who God says is righteous, is walking with the Lord, and he's the beginning of all humanity, so what's the deal? Here's what I love about this passage. He has a bad day. I love this passage because this is real Christianity. See, I love that a guy who God calls righteous and is his boy is like in the midst of just this weird story of debauchery. And the reason why is not to celebrate sin, but to celebrate grace. Think about that. Here he is having a bad day. His son's laughing at him. His son is dishonoring him. We're going to see in a moment, we'll see what his son does, right? And I just thought to myself, like, how many of us have bad days? Some of us have a lot of bad days, right? <laughs> right? I mean, you look at the drunkenness, I mean, you think, oh, I mean, think back. Don't act like you never took, you know, little Jack Daniels. You know what I'm saying? Right? Some of us have had bad days. And I'm just, I'm just praising God that God is going, I get that. You're messed up. All this screams is the gospel. It screams our need for our Savior. 
That's the beauty of this text here, is that the text is freeing. It's not condemning. It's condemning sin so that you might trust your Savior and not trust your moral living. So, um, so he dishonors his dad. And this, no, you can continue on, please. Uh, but it says, But Shem and Jephthah took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Uh, then they walked in backward and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father naked. Now, let's just talk about this. So um, you have this guy come in, see his dad, you know, comes out obviously to defame and kind of make fun or something like that, right? And I love the response of his other two sons. I love that you see, like, what, to, what, what the response should have been. He says, they walk in. No, they, they, he probably comes out and says, oh, look at daddy, he's a nut. And it's almost like they're like, Man, shut up, punk, you know? It's almost like, why are you playing dad? Why are you treating dad like this? He, not only, he only just, like, saved you, right, built a boat, saved your family, and then the first time you see him in sin, you're going to put him on blast. Think of all what Noah has done before now. Can you imagine? Yes, sis. Great question. So if, he, if, if those are his motives, then what we're going to see in the next stage of the passage wouldn't have happened. That's a debate in scholarship. Um, the reason why is because of the, the, the um, I'm sorry. So she asked two questions. I always forget. So the first question was, was Ham really perverted? Where do you see that in the scriptures? My response is, as we read the rest of the text, we're going to see Noah provide a curse on Ham. So there was something going on wrong. He wasn't like, oh, I just saw you naked and I wanted to come and tell everybody to help you. Because then that word would have got out and he wouldn't have been cursed. And you wouldn't have had from him the Canaanites, who had the Philistines, who had the Egyptians. Everybody found the Old Testament comes from this line. So you wouldn't have had that because Noah said, oops, cursed the wrong homie. Right? So, but, but... Well, well, no, no, no. Oh, that, that's a good question. So, so sis is saying, but didn't Noah, Noah could have cursed him because, did he curse him because he was embarrassed, right? And I'm going to talk about that in a moment. Like how, how, so what kind of curse is this and what that looks like? Because then that helps us understand that we cannot manipulate the power of God in that way um, for our own means. But we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, there, was a, there was a second piece of that you asked. The, him, the youngest. Theological issue. I would just say, hey, the scriptures are saying that he was young. Let's just go there. I ain't going to argue about that. At this stage, okay? Good question, though. Um, where was I at before you asked that question? Don't you hear when that happens, guys? All right. So, no, no, you're cool. This is great. But you, you notice, notice, the, notice the awe that they have. They don't even look at their dad nakedness. They walk in backwards. You see that? You see the reverence? And they cover his naked body. They cover his body. So they walk in backwards, cover his body, and walk out. And what God is clearly showing us, this to answer your question, which is a really good question, is he says, if there's any debate, see the two different responses. Here's one that's evil, and here's one that's good. And it just, it convicted me on a couple reasons, and I, I just want us to think about this on two, a couple areas. First, for me, um, do I dishonor my dad? You know, I thought to myself, now, my dad is a nutball, Okay. But do I dishonor him? Like, what is it like for me to honor my dad and his brokenness? And it really brought me to think, I think there probably needs to be some healing in this room. Because, you know, we probably have some messed up dads. And the question is, like, what does it look like for us to see clearly 
the, the, the good and bad in our dads, but honor them. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying do this new age, you like, act like everything's cool. Be prophetic, but I'm saying to honor your dad, to not defame him, to not think yourself higher than you are. Um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that the Lord did in my heart as I read this passage cause, because, you know, my dad, we were moving forward and he just fell off the wagon. I kind of was like, well, I'm just going to give up. And this passage had me just really wanting to repent and say I want to make sure that I'm honoring the Lord by honoring my dad. Um, but here's another thing that I want us to uh, get here is, is, is the sense of patriarch. Um, and I don't even know if I have it here right now, but now notice... Okay, patriarch as a word. Etymology, patriarch means, right, is like uh, the guy being the ruler of, of his family, in a nutshell, right? Okay, biblical patriarchy and even matriarchy is, is, has, a, has a, a different nuance in that it's almost one becomes a patriarch, especially uh, in redemption after the fall, when you, have a line of, when you have a line of drama and then you stop it and you become a line of righteousness, Okay, I want you to miss, don't miss this, okay? So, so the assumption in patriarch is that you now become a father who clearly displays Jesus, who displays the father to his family. You follow me? So in the scriptures, you're not even mentioned as a patriarch if it's ungodly. Okay? Now, what it, what it showed me was like, what I was talking about is this issue of curse. And so let me, let me, let me go there real quick and then we're going to close off. Okay, so when Noah woke up, because this will answer some questions here, when Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, lowest of slaves, will um, he be to his brothers. So the curse. What kind of curse is this? Okay, is it, is it precative, right? Is it, is it, is it he pleading? Is it asking the Lord to do this um, kind of deal? Um, is, it, is it declarative, right? What God does, right? When God gives... Um, when God gives a curse in Scripture, when he says something in Scripture, there's no debate. It just happens. Genesis 3, Genesis 4. Uh, it, it is what it is. Um, is, that, is that the power that, um, uh, that Noah has here? And oh, by the way, you know, have you noticed him cursing um, Ham or Canaan is the first words that Noah speaks? You notice that? That's very interesting. Uh, or is it optative? Is it kind of a wish list? Is he kind of wishing? Man, I wish you would be cursed. Um, I, definitely don't, I definitely propose it's not declarative. It's not that he has a power that what he says goes, okay? Uh, like, well, I'm going to curse you and it's going to happen now. I think there's, uh, what scholarship would say is there's probably two things happening here. Basically, there's probably the sense of, of God answering prayer, uh, but also there's a sense of, of, of basically Noah communicating what's going to probably be the norm or what's going to happen because his dad's a jerk. Did you miss that? I don't want you to miss that. So, there's all, so, so probably he says it and maybe God answers prayer and says, I'm going to, I'm going to do this because you asked. But it also seems that he's saying, you know what? You have a bad daddy. So because your daddy's foul, you probably are cursed. And you're going to probably live out, unless God does something, you're going to probably live this whole deal out, this whole sense of, of, of like what does it look like to have a dad who's, who's doing this stuff and then you're going to fall in line with this. And basically we see this. But here's the issue. The reason why I bring this up is I want to get us away from this generational curse piece. I, it's, well, when you look at these, these passages here, and I don't have time to go through all of Ezekiel 18, Jeremiah 31, 9 through 30, and Ezekiel uh, chapter 18, 
Um, man, do I have, um, have time? These are texts here where he's actually talking about that our sins, you know, he said, you guys are quoting passages where you're saying the reason why you have sins is because of your forefathers. He's saying no longer can you quote those passages. He says the reason why you have sins is because of your doing. Okay? So that's the reason why I don't think just necessarily God was just putting a trance and saying you're going to be fine no matter what. Um, here's, here's the scripture's proof. Uh, if I can share a couple things. It says... Um, The word of the Lord came to me. What do you people mean by quoting this proverb about land of Israel? The fathers eat sour sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge, which meaning they'll pay for the sour grapes that their dad ate. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, you will no longer quote this proverb in Israel. For every living soul belongs to me. The father as well as the son, both uh, alike belong to me. The soul who sins is the one who will die. And the whole chapter is a sense of like the one who does the sinning has to pay for the sin. Okay, my point in that is that, you know, in our community, we got to be careful, family, especially in the 4214. What happens a lot of times, especially in the African-American setting, is we have all these and a lot of um, prosperity, a lot of charismatic sayings, this issue of generational curses. And so the scary thing about saying you that you either you know someone who has a generational curse or you're under a generational curse is it relieves you from responsibility. Because now you're saying there's really nothing I could do. I'm cursed. God is saying that's a lie from the pit. There is something you can do. God is saying he's calling the men and he's calling the women. And I'll stay with the men here because we are having absent of, of male leadership in our community, which I am blessed. Here in our body, we have male leadership, which is a huge blessing. But in our community, huge void of male leadership. We have men, but not male leadership. And God is saying to all of us that he's asking, will you be a patriarch? Will you and me, will we be patriarchs? Will we grow our families up in Jesus, will we allow them to love the Lord, model Christ, model what it mean to be a man of courage, to be a man of humility, to be a man who listens well, to be a man who sacrificially loves their wife, so they can see a good model and follow that. We can change the generations. Your kids will grow up under the world that you give them. And that's why I, we, you know, we talk a lot about husbands and wives, and, and I know I get on you guys, and I, I, I get nervous. I, I get guys who they want to have counseling, and I'm sitting there in the counseling, and I'm thinking, yeah, we'll do this, and we've got to trust the Lord now because you're married. But to be honest, you just made a bad choice. See, if you marry stupid, stupid going to raise your kids. And I'm saying it to all you guys right now who are dating whatever, you want a woman who deeply loves Jesus. Women, women, I think, settle way more. You women settle for such knuckleheads. You know? I mean, I don't know how Carrie goes to pregnancy every week. The, the, the men that these people settle for, it's like they want to love the Lord. Why are, you, why are you settling for God's scraps when he wants to give you his best? You want a man who deeply is passionate about the Lord and who treats you like a queen, and you deserve nothing less. Nothing less. And if you settle, your kids are going to reap that. I think that's, that's part of what's going on here. Your kids are going to reap our dispositions. They're going to reap our baggage. If we're not repentant and humble, this is what happens. Please don't settle. Continue on, please. He also said, praise be to the Lord. God of Shem, uh, may Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend Jephthah's territory. May Jephthah live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be 
Canaan be the slave of, of Jephthah. So again, I think God answered prayer. I can't get around the fact that, it was, that there's a curse. Um, he did. But it seemed in addition to that, there's something about this reality that we shape the environments that we are in. And that to, be, to sit around and go, woe is me, and to sit around and settle and not be a patriarch like God has called you and me to be, to not be a matriarch like God has called you and me to be, is slapping in the face of God's grace that he's given us to experience the power of the Holy Spirit and live radical lives that are outside the natural realm. Do you have a question, buddy? Amen. So can you speak to how an encouraging word to, to live it out practically? Because when we leave, you got the family that's still got the same amount of drama. Amen. You expect you to conduct yourself the same drama Amen. Just in a nutshell, and then we're going to pray. I really appreciate that. I mean, you think about our society. I mean, not only the, the one we live in, but it's, it's, it's hilarious that it's, it's, it's exacerbated in the inner city. But you even watch TV. Who get the butt of the jokes? The fathers, you know, they're clowns, they're wimpy, the women are running things, they're, they're non-existent, they're cheats. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you know, I remember watching Inspector Gadget when I was younger. What would happen? You got Inspector Gadget, and he's bumbling around all the time, and then, all of a, and then his little, little daughter or, or niece or nephew, niece, Penny, and some dog would save the day. And it was like, so you're telling me? You know, I'm laughing, but you think about that. It breaks my heart. I don't want to get emotional here. You're telling me that the dog is of more worth than the dad. That's what you're saying in a little cartoon. You're saying that Penny and the dog saved the day, and if it wasn't for her and the dog, this man wouldn't have done anything. And then we, we fill our kids with that crap, and then we believe it. And I'm just saying, guys, we have to step up. God is calling us to be, to be patriarchs in the community, to say, I don't have to retell this story. You don't have to retell this story, Ray. We don't have to retell this story. God says in his power, we can tell another story. We can retell the story of the gospel. We can be new humankind. That's what he do. He births us again and makes us. We get to retell that story. New humankind, and then we can teach others how to experience new humanity, as it were. Filled by the power of the Holy Spirit, we finally get to be who we were created to be, fully human. We can now lead, be courageous, we can love, we can sacrifice, we can be humble, we can give. In our community, we stand around, and this is the thing we're going to always struggle with. You're discipling someone or you're in a community and you think, I can't speak into that. That's not true. We have to be courageous. We cannot just sit around here and hug people and think, well, I'll just be really, really, really nice to them and one day they may get it. No, you lazy. Be a man. That's what we need to be telling people and sacrificially loving them, being committed to them. I mean, just fighting for them, crying for them, but telling them the truth, family. And telling the truth in your life, receiving accountability, receiving men in your life, telling you that you're not stepping up, that you are worshiping stuff, that you're not following through with the things you say you're going to do. Let's be real men. Ladies, I'm not talking to you right now because I want to focus on these men. 
Hear me, family. Please don't laugh. Listen, guys, I am begging you. I am, I'm asking you to hold me accountable. Let's hold each other accountable to start a new patriarchy. That's what the Lord is calling us all about. That's what this is about. God is saying, you don't have to follow on this line. There's a couple stories that are told in the scriptures, and every time we end, the issue is, so are you going to tell this story, or are you going to tell this story? And what breaks my heart is we leave, and we are choosing to tell the life story. And I'm just asking you, let's join together, and let's tell the truth. Let's rise up. Let's repent. And say, Lord, okay, you've called me to be your patriarch. What does that look like? How do I love my wife? People, you guys are doing all this stuff, and if you're not loving your wives, you are a punk. You're not a man. You're serving here. I want you at corner store, but you're dogging your wife. How dare you? It's clear. Seek to give honor, not discord. The Lord is saying, hey, honor people. Choose to believe the best. I'm, you know, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm a very truthful person. You know me. God is saying, don't dog people until you know that there's sin. And then, with great love and care and respect, care for them. Try to, try to ask the Holy Spirit to use you to relieve them of that sin. Give your stupid days and your lives to Jesus. Stop the guilt. He was dead drunk. He's drunk. He laid out, sleeping it off. You know what? He's still called God's righteous man. He's still called in the scriptures. Thousands of years people have read about this man who walked with the Lord, who's a new humanity. And what I love, in the same book, next chapter, he's dead drunk. And God says, I didn't erase the last chapter. That's still my dog. Please, release yourself from the things you've done, the things you're going to do, and would, you, would, would we please believe the gospel? Jesus. It's about Jesus. And guess what? What God wants you to do, he's right now telling some of you, and you know there's this huge glaring thing that you need to do. And you keep choosing to not be a matriarch or patriarch. God says, will you trust me? Will you, when we don't trust God, we're just really saying he's not good. Will you trust me and do the, do the hard thing, do the right thing? Our hearts here is discipleship. We, you know what, if you're here and you've been coming here and you've been hanging out and you don't, you know, some of you guys, if you're in college, I get it. You're trying to figure out how to do the two-life thing. We want to care for you the way, best way we can. You know we will. If you live in this community or you're kind of vacillating, you need to be getting poured into. You need to be getting discipled and cared for. You need to be, have people in your life. You need to be surrounding yourself around the auspices of the Holy Spirit. And I'm asking you, don't leave here again and just go, oh, good sermon. Because that is not what this is about. We are asking the Holy Spirit to do something that we can't do in ourselves. And then rise up, fam. This is rise up. God is saying, man, we are his people. I just, that blows me away. You get to retell new humankind stories. He's saying, I'm asking you, since I birthed you again, and then you now, in pregnancy aid and where you go, can now retell that story to women and say, you don't have to live dead. You don't have to live a fake life. Let me tell you about the king. He says, now you get to, just like Noah, begin a new humanity through your life. Every one of us. Spend time in tithing. Uh, we're going to tithe and do offerings, family. Think about it. Wrestle with it. We're going to talk about it in Matt groups. I pray if you're a visitor... Man, that you would consider the truth of God's word. Um, we're going to make this brief, Nick, man, because it's just like me going over again. Um, 
What I want to tell uh, visitors' family, if, if you are new here, please keep your wallets to your side, keep your purses to your side. We, we're not trying to solicit your money. This is not about the dough. Um, this is about worship. What we're doing right now, we worship the Lord like this. Um, God has given us everything, so tithing and offerings is a time for us to just worship our king. If you are new here and you understand that this is a time of worship, do not sit on the sidelines. Worship your king, but please don't give out of compulsion. You are a guest. We love having you. Um, just please do it for the right reasons. We're going to sing out to the Lord, then I'm going to close us. Um, let me pray for us. Um, dear Jesus, we pray uh, that you would just allow us to use this stuff for your glory. Um, we thank you for the opportunity to be your children. And, Lord, we pray for men and women in this body right now who are still figuring out this whole Jesus thing. Lord, we pray that you would just birth faith. You would allow people to see that you are life in itself, and we get to finally experience what does it mean to be truly human. Um, yeah, Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Uh, thank you. Amen. So we're going to sing a song called Unify Us. Why don't you guys stand um, and we'll get the song going while those baskets are still going around.
family. Amen. Hey, family. I want you to think with me. So cause I was thinking of my life, I was thinking, man, so here I am, both parents, one's alcoholic, one's a crack addict. Some of you guys have dads who are alcoholics, moms, alcoholics. Some of your dads worship their job, really weren't there for you. Um, some of your dads left when you were young. Some of your dads didn't provide for you. Just think about your journey. And then what we begin to do is we begin to look at God in light of our dads, right? The Lord is saying, look at your dad in light of God. Say, he's your king. What he does is he adopts us. What a beautiful picture. See, see, the Lord showed me that's not, that doesn't have to be your story. I'm giving you a new daddy, Eric. I want you to learn from, I want you to learn from me. I want you to see the covenant community, see how to love a woman, learn how to sacrificially care for someone. And gave me all these pictures of godly men to teach me how to be a man. It's not about fighting and all the stupid stuff that the, the culture teaches you. And some of us, we, we sadly, we go on in life and we live out of that baggage. And we just think, my goal is not to be a godly man, but just to be better than my dad. And it's a trick. God wants you to be a godly man. The goal isn't to top your dad. Let's do some work with our hearts, okay, family? And let's be inviters so people can experience the gospel. Please, if you're not being discipled and you're in this body, in this community, get discipled, talk to somebody. And guys, please, if you are discipling, will you please take this seriously and disciple with courage? Prepare and pour into people well. And if you need help, talk to us, please. Lord Jesus, let's pray together. We love you. We pray that we can enjoy you and just experience a grace-motivated life. That's always our prayer, Lord. Would you do a work in our hearts that we can't do in ourselves? Allow us to experience what does it mean to retell your story well. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Have a great weekend. Love you guys.